Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Shortly after I, I quit working in February, I, and I began to be able to take extra time, more time than really than I've ever had to really study the Word and get into the Word. The Lord took me to uh, the book of Daniel. And, uh, man, there's some stuff in this book that if you really dig into it, that will light you up. I mean, there's great stories, the stories of, of uh, the lion's den and the three Hebrew children and, and all the, the, the prophetic things that Daniel saw. You know, Daniel saw more prophetically and more futuristically than all the other prophets did. I mean, they, they saw things, and they, were, they knew God had told them, but God didn't just tell Daniel. He took Daniel in the spirit, and he showed them to him. He saw them with his eyes. He saw into the future. And so, I want to take some time this morning and just share with you real quick. And it's one of the stories in the book of Daniel and God showed me something in this I had never seen before. And so, we're going to look at it real quick. If you, if you, if you go to the book of Daniel, the fifth chapter. Now, this is a story that you're all familiar with. And it's a story of the handwriting on the wall. Now, I've, I've heard this message preached a lot. And I've heard this portion of scripture preached a lot. And... It's always based on, you know, being weighed in the balances and found wanting or, or not handling the holy things of God, right? But man, guys, God showed me something in this that just, that has taken me to some different places and some different planes and some different levels. And so, um, we're going to read this this morning. And I want to start at verse 9. Now, you know the story. Belshazzar is king, and he holds this great banquet. Now, what people don't maybe not realize that while he was holding this banquet, and he was partying away, his downfall was already at the gate. What what was what what was going to be prophesied to him was already in place. The enemy was there. They were, they, were, they were getting ready to enter the city. And so, you know the story. They go in, they get the, the things that were dedicated to the Lord, bring them out. And, and they're, they're drinking from them, they're partying with them, they're, they're toasting the false gods to them. And the hand comes up, starts writing on the wall. Just a hand. And it writes something that nobody, nobody knows. Now, if you read this, it's kind of not humorous, but it is. It said that, that it scared the king so bad that his knees were knocking together. Now, I've, I've been scared a few times, but I don't know that I've ever been scared to that extent. So if you start reading in verse 9, it says this, Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance changed and his lords were astonished. 
And the queen, because of the words of the king and his lord, spoke to the banquet hall, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts be troubled, nor let your countenance change. Verse 11. There is a man in your kingdom. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in him. Explaining in Ignatius found in this Daniel, in whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Verse 13 says, Then Daniel was brought before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought in from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of a thing. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. So I want to talk to you this morning on the subject, I have heard of you. Or the subtitle would be, There is a Man. Father, thank you this morning. This is your word. I don't have to ask you to anoint it because you've already done so. I don't ask you to put, have to ask you to put your stamp of approval on it because you already have. This is your word. It will accomplish what you want it to accomplish this morning. It will do in the hearts of your people what you want it to do this morning. Father, I don't have to have confidence in my ability because I have confidence in yours. Holy Spirit, I don't have to rely on myself because I know I can rely on you. And so you take the word this morning, bless it, Lord Jesus. Bless the word, Holy Spirit. Come in your power and in your might this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in a crowd or, or, or been introduced to somebody? And when you're introduced, that person says to you, oh, I've heard about you. And the panic that sets in your heart. <laughs> because you're wondering, oh man, I wonder what they've heard. You know, and uh, I know you're not this way, but I'd be, man, the thoughts of all the dumb stuff I've done start rolling through my head. And I'm thinking, oh shoot, did they hear about that? Did they hear about this? Did they, did they hear about this? Well, there's, there's a, uh, a law in, in, in scriptural interpretation, and it's called the law 
of reoccurrence or the law of repetition. It means that when you hear something repeated, you need to listen up. You need to pay attention to what's being said. So there are several phrases in this portion of Scripture that reoccur. And so, in my heart, I, I, I knew the Lord was saying to me, you got to pay attention to what keeps the, the theme that keeps reoccurring here. Now, you gotta, you got you to gotta understand the, <laughs> the chaos that was going on right at this moment. I mean, think about it. You're in somewhere, and just the hand starts to pierce, and, and, and nobody can explain what's going on. It is chaos. It is, there's fear. There's, there's, there's uh, perplexity, all of these things. And, and nobody can give the answers. Nobody has the answer. Nobody can tell you what it means. Nobody can tell you anything about it. You've got the smartest guys in the land trying to interpret it for you, and they don't have any idea, any more idea than the next guy does. Does that sound familiar to you? Come on. I'm going to preach this morning whether you like it or not, so you might as well just buckle up. Does that not sound familiar to you? We live in a chaotic time. There is fear everywhere. You got the wisest men in the land that can't make up their mind what's going on. They can't interpret what's going on. They don't know what to, what to do. And people, people are they're, they're perplexed. What is going on? What does all this mean? A couple of weeks ago, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks ago, we, uh, we went to a meeting, and it was, had to do with the school district. And um, I was the only guy there, but that's, that was okay. Um, but there were, there were a lot of young mothers there, mothers that had kids in school. And I walked out of that meeting, and I was so heavy-hearted. Because you could see the, the, the weightiness. And, and one of the young moms gave us an excerpt out of a book that is reading for ninth grade level, I believe it was, here in your school district. And she gave us a, a little bit of that excerpt, and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. This is stuff that adults should not be reading. And the weightiness of that was when you could see it. I, I, there, especially one young mom, she, she, her, just watching her, her body language, and she was so bare, burdened down and weighted down with this. And they knew that they were fighting a great fight and, and uh, that, 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 that the battle they were fighting was like this, uphill. And they were trying to figure out what, you know, and, and nobody had an answer for them. Nobody had a clue as to what they could tell them other than, 
You should pray. You need to pray. We need to pray about this. And, and, and um, but the, uh, the, the thing about this is that in this time, we have to understand that, first of all, you have to, you have to understand that the time for riding the fence is over. I'll try this side over here. <laughs> Come on, help me preach this morning. The time for writing the fence is done. I'm not talking just about politically. I'm not talking just about socially. I'm talking spiritually. Come on, people need to know who we are. They need to know what we believe and in whom we have believed. You see, right here at this time, uh, this, this queen mother, she was, she was uh, Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, which made her Belshazzar's grandmother. But this chaos is everywhere. And all of a sudden, she starts remembering back when she was a kid in the, in the courtroom, when the... Uh, her dad faced some times that were chaotic, and she thought, ah, I remember, there was a man. There was a man. And so she goes and she tells her grandson, listen, I know somebody. I know somebody that can bring some answers and can bring some solutions. You need to, you need to go see this guy. You need to get this guy in here. Man, if there was ever a time where the world needs to be able to look at the church and say, come on. I know somebody. Or they can, they can tell somebody else, I know a man. I know a woman. Hallelujah. You see... Daniel's, Daniel's reputation preceded him. Daniel didn't have to wait, and he didn't have to say, well, you know, give me some time. I got to pray about this. You know, I got to get ready. Daniel was in a state of readiness. Come on, he hadn't, he hadn't been in the, Daniel's an old man by now. He has not been in the public eye since Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's grandfather, was in the court. He hasn't even been on the scene. But yet there was something about him that caused even people to recognize the fact this is a guy that can give us the answers that we need. It says, uh, and, and his reputation preceded him. Reputation is nothing more than, it's a, the, the definition of reputation, re, reputation is an overall quality or character as seen or judged by people in general. Recognition by other people of some characteristic or ability. 
The thing that made Daniel's reputation what it was was a constant, uncompromising pursuit of fellowship with God that was constantly being manifested through him. Daniel was in a place of fellowship with God to where the Spirit of God was constantly being manifested through him. So we're going to look real quick at just a few things. Smith Wigglesworth said, when a man is filled with Holy Spirit, he has a vital power that makes people know he has seen God. When a person is filled with Holy Spirit, there's something in them that lets the outsider know that this person has seen God. Remember in the New Testament when the apostles were, were uh, in just a fledgling state of the church and they were out ministering and they're getting thrown in prison and, and gotten brought before. But it says in the, in, in, in the book of Acts that the Sanhedrin, when they brought him in, it said that they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Come on, can the world look at us when we're out there, and can they see it in us? Can they recognize that you and I have been with Jesus? Can they recognize? What is it about us that sets us apart, makes us different? I don't know how we got into this mindset of, of thinking the world has to like us. <laughs> Leonard Ravenhill said one time, he said, how is it that the world hated the holiest man that ever lived and gets along fine with you and me? How is it That the world has such a negative, hateful mentality about Christ, but yet they don't have any problem getting along with you and me. They don't have any problem getting along with the church. Oh, come on. Hang with me. This will be good for you. There is a man. In a time of crisis and chaos, God always has somebody who is ready to face the challenge. When things are at their worst, God always has somebody that's ready to face the challenge. Somebody that's ready to look in the face of the devil and say, all right, big boy, come on, let's strap it on. Let's go. You mean you talk to the devil like that? I absolutely, surely, most certainly do. I want him to know that when he steps into my territory, he is in for a fight. I want him to know that the Holy Spirit is so strong and so powerfully moving in me that I'm going to wreck him. And I'm going to wreck, do everything I can to wreck his kingdom. 
Hallelujah. Oh, let me tell you this morning. God's looking for somebody. God's looking for somebody. He always has somebody. My, th- my goofy thing keeps going off on me. When things were bad and fearful, when there was no reasonable solution, no answer, no idea of what was going on, the situation called for somebody who was different. Oh, we hate that word. We hate that word. Why do we have to be different? Someone who could quell the chaos. Make sense out of what made no sense. Offer explanations of the unexplainable. It was a supernatural problem that needed someone who had exhibited the ability to go in and navigate into the supernatural and find out what was going on and to be able to declare what was happening. Daniel had proven himself that he was that kind of guy. David, when he stood before Saul, and that giant was out there shooting his mouth off. And what did David do? He went back over, and he reminded Saul of his qualifications to go out and meet the giant. He reminded King Saul of the time he killed the lion with his bare hand. The time he killed the bear. And he said, this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be just like they are. You see, every time there's a giant that comes around, every time the giants begin to raise their head, God always has someone who is ready to fire the stone. Hallelujah. Smith Wigglesworth said again, when we receive power, we must stir ourselves up to the truth that we are responsible for the need around us. If we do not step into our privileges, it is a tragedy. If you and I don't step into that place and that, that under that mantle, you don't have to, you don't have to, be someone that stands up here and does this to have the mantle of authority on you to go out and to confront the devil. Oh, come on, somebody, somebody help me out this morning. You don't have to be someone who stands up here. You have the power. You have the authority. You have Holy Spirit in you. You have the power that quickened. It's raised Christ from the dead, resurrection power that is in you that should be being manifested and needs to be manifested through your life. Jamiliot said, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on the single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or the other on facing Christ in me. Whew. 
Make me that person that when they meet me, they are confronted with Christ and they have to decide what they're going to do with him. Reputation is not based on what you say. Reputation is not based on what you say. Reputation is based on what you do. Go into the book of Revelations and you, you read the messages that, that, that Jesus gave to the churches of Asia. The church at Sardis, he said this. In, 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 in Revelation 3, he said, See, the angel of the church of Sardis write these things, says, see who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name. Some translations say you have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen what remains that are already to die, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. The the uh, NLT, the New Living Translation, says it this way. Write this letter to the angel of the church at Sardis. This is a message from the one who has sevenfold spirit of God and seven stars. I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even that which is left is almost dead. The Phillips version says this. He said, I know that you have done, you have a reputation of being alive, but that in fact you are dead. Now wake up, strengthen what you still have before it dies, for I have not found any of your deeds complete in the sight of my God. The message says this I see right through your work. You have a reputation of vigor and zest but you're dead, stone dead. Up on your feet, take breath. Maybe there's some life in you left yet, but I wouldn't know it by looking at your busy work. Nothing of God's work has been completed. Your condition is desperate. This church had, had a, they had the name of being something special. But when push came to shove, and in the spirit realm, their reputation didn't match up with what they were doing. What they were saying they were was not matching up with what they were doing. So there's always got to be a man. God's always going to have that man. He is depending on you and on me especially in this hour, to be able to be that one that stands up and says, hey, I know what's going on. Now listen, you don't have to be some deeply prophetic person. You don't have to be steeped up to your eyebrows in the gift of prophecy. You know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, his spirit, his presence, his power, his glory ought to be flowing through you, manifesting through you 
to everybody, everybody, everybody that you come in contact with. Now, I know there are some of you here that are new in faith. You're just getting started this, and, and, and they're wondering, how do I do this? Man, go back and look at the early church. The apostles, they, were, they hadn't been in this very long. But yet they had received something in their heart and in their spirit that enabled them to say, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. They, they, they found and they, they were drawing on that power that they had received on the day of Pentecost to say, God, grant us that with all boldness we may preach your word. That caused them to, when the, when, the, when the Sanhedrin said, don't be coming back here and spreading any of this garbage again. They were out of prison, and the next day, the next morning, right back at it. See, standing for Christ and, and, and being that person who can move and manifest the power of Christ, doesn't, I, nowhere do I read where you have to be a Christian for five or ten years to, to have this happen. The minute, the minute that you come to Christ, you receive what you need. You've got to understand something. He hasn't left any loopholes in this thing. Peter said that he has given us everything, everything, so that we can live a godly life and a good life. We have everything in you right now. You have everything in you right now that you need. Hallelujah. Come on, the time for excuses is over. The time for saying, that's not my, that's not my area. That's not my ministry. That's not my calling. That's over. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if you, if you know who he was. He was a, a Lutheran minister at the start of, the, of, of, of World War II. And uh, uh, he was involved in, in, a, in a plot, actually, to uh, assassinate Hitler. And he was arrested. And just days before Germany surrendered, he, he, was, he was executed. But in his great book, if you have not read it, you need to read it. It's called The Call of Discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. When God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Oh, Lord, I'm not even nowhere near where I need to be. Quick, quick, we're going to go through this. Again, this, this, this repeating, you, you hear some things, you see some things repeated here. Number one, it says this. Belshazzar said, the Spirit of God is on you. I've heard that the Spirit of God is on you. Now, if you, if you look at that in a little translation, it means the Spirit of the gods. He was saying the Spirit of the... Now, they didn't think about the Hebrew God. They just, you know what they recognized? They recognized that there was a divine imprint on the life of Daniel. 
there was something supernatural about him. When Daniel was on the scene, supernatural things happened. In other words, there was divine imprint on his life. The word used for spirit here is the Hebrew word ruah. It means, where is it? What does it mean? Ah, right here. It means breath, wind, or life force. It is associated with creative power. This is the same word that you read in Genesis 1 where it says the spirit was brooding over the water. It's that word ruah. It's the same word that is used in Ezekiel 37 when God said prophesy to the wind. Prophesy to the spirit. Same word. So what was he saying about Daniel? He's saying there's breath in you. There's wind in you. There's a life force in you. An infusion. There's a divine imprint on your life. Listen, folks. People have got to see the divine imprint. Come on. They have to see the divine imprint on our life. Do you? Sometimes I don't think we understand what we have been given and the power that we have been given. You realize, and I I, got to get through this. Jesus is walking one day and he's, there's a man crying out that can't see. And Jesus walks over to him And he did something that we would look at it and go, Bleh. He stooped down, spit on the ground, made some mud and put it on that guy's eyes. Now, why in the world did he do that? What was... But listen, think about it for a minute. This will light you up. What's in saliva? Not germs. D-N-A. Do you realize what Jesus was doing? Jesus said, I only do what my father tells me to do. Jesus, in putting mud with saliva on that man's eyes, he was infusing that man with the DNA of his father. Come on. He was infusing and he was applying the DNA of his heavenly father to that man. And when that man washed the mud off, he saw what he had never seen before. Can I tell you that that's this morning what God wants from you and I? He wants that divine imprint so seen in us that we can apply through the Holy Spirit the DNA of our spiritual father on their situation and bring healing to it. Bring peace to it. Take the chaos out of it. 
It says that he had an excellent spirit in him. That doesn't just mean that Daniel was a nice guy. It doesn't just mean that Daniel was a good guy. That word excellent means surpassing, extreme, extraordinary. It was an inner transformation that took place in Daniel that manifested itself in the natural. See, this started way back when Daniel was a young fella. When he first got to Babylon, and they said him and some of the, 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 they took the smartest, the brightest of the Hebrews. And you can go back and read it in Daniel 1, where they began to feed them what they were feeding the world. Uh, the rest of it, you know. And Daniel knew that that food had been sacrificed to idols. And you can read it in Daniel 1, where it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with this unholy food, this, this food that had been offered. He said he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to be like the world. He wasn't going to be like everybody else. He wasn't going to act like everybody else. He wasn't going to partake of what everybody else partook of. He was going to partake of what God told him to partake of. Oh, come on, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. This is, see, this is what made Daniel's spirit, this extraordinary spirit, was that he refused to let himself become a part of the status quo. He refused to let himself sit in a seeker-friendly church that would not preach the cross, would not preach the blood, would not preach deliverance, that would not preach repentance. He would not. And he set himself apart. Can I tell you this morning, I'm just, I'm just going to kick your dog and get it over with. The reason we are where we're at in this world is because we quit setting ourselves apart as a church. We quit, we quit making ourselves that spectacle, that example of something that was different. And the reason that, you've met them, people out in the world, or people that you get out in the world and they claim to be Christians, and they'll, they'll talk to you about Jesus and they're the whiniest people on the face of the earth. Now, I know none of you have worked with people like this, but I have. They whine about their job. They whine about the atmosphere of their job. They complain about the people that they work with. They complain about the conditions they work with. And they complain about the management. And all kinds of stupid stuff comes out of their mouths. And then they'll say, oh, but can I tell you about Jesus? And you want to walk over and tell them, shut your mouth. Would you please be quiet? Either that or they're telling you about Jesus, and in the next sentence, they're, they're throwing the F-bomb out like it's, like it's candy. 
Oh, come on, I'm preaching this morning. God called us to be different. God sanctified us. Sanctified, that means you're set apart. There should be something different about you. You should look different. You should sound different. I should be different. When I get out in the world, they ought to recognize the fact, man, there is something about that guy. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, this is good. Excellent spirit. A.B. Simpson said the chief danger of the church today is that it is trying to get on the same side as the world instead of turning the world upside down. Our master expects us to accomplish results. Even if they bring opposition and conflict, I love this, anything is better than compromise, apathy, and paralysis. God, give us an intense cry for the old-time power of the gospel and the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. They ought to see that excellent spirit in us, church. They ought to see that excellent spirit in us. They ought to see something different. That doesn't mean you're going to walk in perfection. You're going to mess up. You're going to. But see, that's when they see the grace of God. That's when they see the mercy of God. That's when they see the power of God that can change a person. Because that outweighs the dumb stuff we do. Come on, the power of God at work in you and I has the ability to overcome the dumb stuff we do. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm trying to get through this. Light and illumination. Belteshazzar said, you, 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 there's light and illumination about you. Daniel brought a dimension into the situation that was not accessible to the others that had a natural mindset. All these astrologers, I mean, these are supposed to be spiritual guys. They were. And they were like, <laughs> I don't know what that means. They rattled their bones and did whatever else they did. Cut the chicken open and looked at the insides of it. I still don't, I can't figure out what they could figure out from that. But they did all these things. And yet they could not, they could not give the answer. They could not provide what was needed. He was able to pull the solution from the supernatural and bring it into the natural. See, this is what God's after from you and I. He wants to be able to use us to pull the things out of the supernatural into the natural. Uh, some of you look at me like i got a third eye in my forehead. It's the truth. God's wanting out of you and I. He wants his power so flowing through us. He wants his spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to be moving in us so strongly that we are able to reach into the darkness and we're able to traverse the darkness and we're able to see what the light and bring light into that darkness. Salt and light. The ability to see into the darkness and shed light. Man, if there was ever a time that there has to be somebody who can walk into the darkness and shed light. Last one. Oh, 
Yes. <laughs> Pastor Sean, you heard that. I'm going to close here real quick. I'm going to close here. Last one. And, and I'm going to close with this. It says that you're able to solve enigmas. You're able to solve enigmas. Man, when God showed me this, I, 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 it like catapulted me. The literal translation of solves enigma, you know what it means? It means unties the knots. Unties the knots. <laughs> Belteshazzar said, Daniel, you're able to untie the knots. Jesus spoke, and I'm hurrying, but you've got to get this. Book of Luke, chapter 4. Very familiar portion of the scripture. Starts at verse 18. 17, we'll start reading at 17. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20 says, and then he closed the book gave it to the attendant, the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all were upon him. And he said what? Today, the scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. Listen to what this says. The Passion Translation puts it this way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, healing for the brokenhearted, New eyes for the blind. And to preach to prisoners, you are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee. For the time of God's acceptance has come. And this one, the Weymouth translation says, Just the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the prisoners of war and recovery of sight to the blind and send away free those whose tyranny has crushed. The word for spirit here, when you read it in Isaiah, it's that word ruah again. When you read it in the Greek, it is the word pneuma, which has the exact same meaning. It's the exact, this is the same word that was used when talking about the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Pneuma. It means the very same thing. Listen to me this morning. The world isn't interested in your theology. They could care less whether you are Republican, Democrat, Independent. They could care less whether you are for wearing masks or not wearing masks. They could care less about whether you think they should take a jab or not. They could care less about that stuff. They could. 
they pose a question that does not change regardless of the circumstance. And that question is, can you help me? Do you have the answer? We have to be ready to challenge the problems people are facing. We must exhibit the character, the spirit that can untie the knots. We have to have flowing through us the spirit that can break and untie the knots of addiction. That can untie the knots of depression. That can untie the knots of perplexity. We must be recognized as someone on whom the Spirit of God rests. We must be ready to impose the kingdom at any time, at any place, and in any circumstances. You have to be ready to impose the kingdom. Friend, when you walk into a room, the atmosphere should change. Oh, come on. Come on. When you walk into a room and you walk into a situation that is full of despair and fear and chaos, you have what is in you to be able to impose the kingdom of God on that circumstance. Oh, you're getting quiet on me. Hang with me, I'm almost done. You have to be able, you have to be one that can impose the kingdom of God. Boy, some of you are looking at me like you don't believe a word I'm telling you. It's right here. If the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal body. It will make it alive. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. It will bring life to any circumstance that you come in contact with or that you are infused in. I remember, I've never told anybody this. I'm really trying to hurry. I'm almost done. For the second time. Johnny and I went down to Modesto back, when was it? April? May, March, April? And we went to, to and we volunteered at Mario Morello's Living Proof Crusade down there. Great time. I mean, it was awesome. Well, one night, and, and we were, I'm asleep in my room. And all of a sudden, I, I, the, 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 there was this presence came in the room. And it was not a good one. And so I'm facing the wall. And, I'm, and when you get in, and I don't know if you've ever been in this circumstance, but the first thing that comes to your mind is you start to pray. You can't, you're kind of half in, half out. And you can't quite wake up. I could feel that stinking thing walking around on the bed behind me. And I finally, I sat up in bed and I said, enough! I don't know who was in this room before and let you in, but guess what? There's a different person that is occupying this room right now. And you don't have any reason to be here. You have no place being here. Get out and get out now. And I rolled over and went back to sleep. But see, I, I only tell you that to tell you this. You have that power in you, that power, that ever-flowing, that ever-abundant life of Christ is flowing through you. 
And this world is looking for someone. You'll face somebody tomorrow that is looking for what you have, looking for the answers that you can give. And you have to be, it is imperative, it is vital that you are ready to face the task. Hallelujah. I don't think I have anything left to say. We will provide the truth. We will give hope by the power of the Holy Spirit that will untie the knots of sin, addiction, disease, captivity, oppression, and hopelessness. You and I, you and I will do it. God has chosen to use you and I. We have no other alternative. I said it in the beginning. I'm closing my Bible. That means I'm done. We have to understand, folks. Listen, you only got this for like 45 minutes. I got it. I, I, I've been eating on this for like two weeks. God has called us This is war. I said, this is war. Yes. The enemy is showing himself like never before. He's not even trying to hide himself anymore. He's not lurking around in the shadows anymore. He's on the TV when you turn it on. He's on the news when you turn it on. Martin Luther said this, Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. At the end, all his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause, he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian, too, does not belong in the seclusion of a cloistered life but in the thick of foes. There is his commission, his work. The kingdom of God is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies and not with bad people, but with devout people. Oh, you blasphemers, and you betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, no one would ever have been spared. If Christ would have done what you are doing, no one would have ever been spared. Listen, I know this has been a little rough and raw this morning, but you know what? The time for good, comfortable preaching is in the rearview mirror. We have to arouse ourselves. We have to stir ourselves to understand 
that you and I are the only thing that stands between heaven and hell for people. I'm going to say that again. You and I are the only thing that stands between heaven and hell for people. What we say, what we project from our lifestyle, not from the words we say. Words are cheap. Anybody can say the words. Anybody can mouth the words. But it's what's your life showing, what's your life saying. That's what's going to set you apart. We have to come to a place where we're not worried anymore about what the world thinks of us. We have to come to a place where we don't, we don't care what, what society says about us. We're going to proclaim this is the way. Walk in it. We're going to proclaim by our lives this is the way to go. We're going to say like Paul said, follow me. As I follow Christ. We're going to give him the answers. We're going to have the solutions. Holy Spirit will flow through you. To give the answers that you need to give. Remember what he told. Jesus told the disciples. He says don't worry when you. When you, when you stand in front of the magistrates. Don't worry about when you're. You're standing in front of all these people. And you're thinking what should I say. He said you just open your mouth and I'll speak. You just yield yourself. I'll talk. You just yield yourself to me. I'll say what needs to be said. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.